I hope you have your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1 this morning. We're going to look at verses 30 through 33 as we continue our Advent season where we've been focusing on four simple truths. So let me catch catch you up if you have not been here uh, for a while or you're not sure where we are in our Advent season. But we've looked at four truths this Advent season starting back the last Sunday of November. The first truth was that God speaks to his people. So we traced how God speaks to his people through the scriptures. The second truth is that God comes to his people, that he pursues them and is in a covenant relationship with him, and he chases after his people. And then last week, we looked at the third truth, that God saves his people. He not only speaks to them and comes for them, but he rescues them and redeems them. And this morning, we're looking at the fourth and final truth of our Advent season, and that is that God reigns over his people. Now, as we've done this each week, we've added this little phrase at the end, that the fullest expression of God speaking to his people, God coming to his people, God saving his people, and God reigning over his people is through Jesus. God has spoken most clearly to us through Jesus. God has come to us, Emmanuel, God with us, in the person of Jesus. God rescues us not through Moses, not just through David, but he saves his people through Jesus. And today we're looking at the truth that God reigns over his people through Jesus. Now, one of the reasons that I've chosen to walk through these these biblical themes for Advent is that all of us need to learn to read our Bibles this way. All of us need to learn to read our Bibles from front to back, tracing God's promises. You see, all of God's promises find their fulfillment, their yes and their amen, in Christ Jesus. We have to read our Bibles as one grand story of God's work to rescue and redeem His people. The Bible comes alive when you trace God's redemptive thread through the whole. So what this means is, when you read your Bible, you can't read it as though it is a collection of unrelated stories that are independent of each other. No, no. As Christians, we believe the Bible is one story with one author. God Himself with one great hero, the Lord Jesus Christ who has one great mission to rescue and redeem his people and people from every nation, tribe, and tongue and the great hope that we will see him and worship him and enjoy his presence and glory forever. Now, this morning, we're going to focus on the truth that God reigns over his people through Jesus. So look there in Luke chapter 1, the Christmas story, verses 30 through 33. It says there, this is, um, it says there, this is, the, this is Gabriel speaking to Mary, and it says there in verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means God saves, and he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. May the Lord add a blessing to the, read, uh, to the reading of his word. So here we go. Buckle up, buttercup. This is going to be a very quick ride through the entire Bible. So, 
The story of the Bible, the story of the Bible can be summarized as a story of God coming to rescue and redeem his people and to restore his rightful rule over them through the Lord Jesus. The theme of God's kingdom being lost and being restored runs from Genesis to Revelation. I want to trace that theme for us this morning through a simple outline. Um, It's not my own outline. This is an outline that Graham Goldsworthy and uh, Vaughn Roberts have put together in their respective books, Gospel and Kingdom, and God's Big Picture, respectively. They are respected. um, They are are very, uh, very respected biblical theologians um, that that have those two works out for you out for us to enjoy. Now, here is how they define the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign. And here is how they define it, and th- because this is what the Bible teaches. So this is for your own notes. Here is what the kingdom of God is, the, the theme that we're going to trace through the Bible. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Three things. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. So let's start with as in our outline with number one, the pattern of the kingdom. So you'll trace this, a bunch of P words this morning, so pay attention. The Bible begins by God laying out a pattern of the kingdom. You have God's people, Adam and Eve, in God's place, the Garden of Eden, under God's rule and blessing. God rules his people by his word to them that they are to be fruitful, they are to multiply, and they are to extend his glory to the ends of the earth. They are forbidden from eating of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But during this time, God walks with them in a perfect relationship with them, and he blesses them, and he walks with them daily, and this is God's pattern for the kingdom that you see. This is perfection, God's people in God's place under his rule and blessing but something happens in Genesis 3 this is the story of the fall this is the perished kingdom something tragically turns the kingdom perishes in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve forsake God's rule and choose rather the rule of sin the first rebellion in the garden hear me this is the essence of sin the first rebellion in the garden was man substituting himself for God That's what happened with Adam and Eve. It wasn't simply the sin of law-breaking, them breaking God's law about eating of the tree. It was actually the sin of law-making. God was their king. God was their law-giver, but they rejected his rule and ultimately said that God is not king, I am. I am God. I make the laws. I make the rules. I do what I want to do, and that spirit is still very much alive in our world that elevates self-autonomy above all else. And so, God is not king, they are, and they will make the laws by which they would live. And as a consequence, God banishes them from the garden. At this point, God's people are exiled from his presence. So instead of being under God's blessing, they receive God's curse. They are no longer God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. The kingdom has perished. But he left them a gospel promise that he would one day send a serpent crusher who would come and destroy that deceitful serpent and he would restore and reestablish God's rule. That's the story of 
Genesis 1, 2, and 3, but then there comes third, the promised kingdom. The promised kingdom. As the story progresses, God chooses this man named Abraham, and God does what is incredible. In Genesis 12 through 20, God promises Abraham and his people a kingdom. He promises promises them a kingdom and makes a covenant with Abraham. God promises this. He says, I will be your God. I will give you a land. I will bless you and all the nations through you. So God promises to be his God, to give him a place, and to bless him and all the nations through him. This promised kingdom will be like that kingdom that perished in Genesis 3. Abraham's offspring will be God's people. They will be given a new place, the promised land, and they will live under God's rule and blessing. So what you see is God is starting to fulfill this promise that he made of the coming serp to, the, uh, to, to Eve about the coming serpent crusher. We know now that this promised deliverer will come through the promises made to Abraham. The story starts wide and it starts to narrow. But then, after the promised kingdom, you have the partial kingdom. So what happens as the story progresses? It goes on and the promises given to Abraham continue to Isaac and to Jacob and ultimately to Judah. We know it goes through Judah. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt and after Joseph's death, Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt to the promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham. God's people are now headed back to God's place. Now through Joshua, they conquer the land and establish a nation. They eventually drive out the inhabitants and they set up a government and they anoint a king over them. They are once again God's people, Israel, in God's place, which is in the promised land, and they are being ruled by a king. Now, here's the question, though. Is this God's king? The first king was Saul. He did some good things, but he ultimately was a failed king. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, not from the tribe of Judah. The serpent crusher can't be Saul. He's from the wrong place. And so God had told Judah back in Genesis 49, he says this. This is the promise God made to Judah. He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So they have a partial kingdom. Saul was the people's choice for king. He ultimately fails, and God sends them a king after his own heart from the tribe of Judah, King David. And at this point, we have a partial restoration of God's kingdom. Though David is a good king, he's not God's perfect king. King. God promises David in 2 Samuel, he says, From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and then I will give you rest from all your enemies. He says, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, whom shall come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever now so David here represents a partial fulfillment of God's promises from the garden Israel is God's people they're in God's place the promised land but they aren't fully under God's rule 
though they experience God's blessing for a time, that time is short because Israel ultimately fails and through sinful human kings, the kingdom again is torn away from them as they're driven into exile by Babylon. They are once again God's people, but they're no longer in God's place. And they're no longer under God's rule of a godly king. Even the partial kingdom is taken away. Now there's a shift in the whole story of the Old Testament. Now we've walked through Genesis, through Joshua and Judges and the kings, and now we're to the major prophets. And you have the prophesied kingdom. You have the prophesied kingdom. It's during this time that God raises up many prophets who assure God's people that God has not abandoned you. He's not forsaken you. He will keep his promises that he made to Adam, to Abraham, to Judah, and to David. There is a prophesied kingdom coming when Israel will once again be God's people in God's place when he brings them back from exile and they will be under the rule of his perfect king. It is during this time that God gives Daniel, this Hebrew boy who was exiled to to serve King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and God gives him a vision of what's coming in Daniel 7. And this is what God, this is what Daniel sees. Listen to this. He says, and I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all the people's nations and languages served him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall never pass away. And His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. That's what Daniel sees. A coming, someone who is coming who will rule forever. And then Isaiah prophesies. He says, for unto us a child is born and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And hear this. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And Jeremiah prophesies during this time of a day when God will give them a new and better covenant. One that better than the one he made with Abraham. A day that he will change the rebellious hearts of his people where they will once again submit to his rule over them as God. Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. But, here's the question. That's all through the Old Testament. When will this happen? Where is God's king? Where is he who will bring all of God's promises to fruition so that we can be God's people? So that we can be in God's place and under God's blessing. Now look again at Luke. Look at Luke 1, verses 32 and 33. Gabriel comes to Mary and look what he says. He says, you're going to have a son and he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. 
This is the fulfillment of all the prophecies that God made to his people, which brings us to the New Testament and the present kingdom. The present kingdom. We finally have God's king. This is not Saul, not David, or any of those kings that failed. No, this is God himself coming to reign over his people in Jesus. We finally have God's perfect king because it is God himself who has now come into the flesh to rule over his people in the person of Christ Jesus. This is the Son of the Most High. God is our King and the Son of God is, is a King with Him. Now that the prophecies are fulfilled, we move into the present kingdom. The kingdom is present because God's King is at hand. He is finally here. And this child grows in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. And he begins his ministry at his baptism with John where the heavens open. The Spirit descends on him as a dove. And the Father says this, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And from this time, Jesus begins preaching this message. Hear the words of Jesus differently today. This is, the, this is what Jesus is preaching in fulfillment of all of these promises. He says, repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Jesus is preaching. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. Why is it, at, why is it at hand? Because the king is among his people. Jesus preaches the gospel. He heals the sick, casts out demons, raises the dead. Why? Because in the presence of God's king, the curse is pushed back in retreats. It cannot exist when the king is present. That is why Jesus is out. And when Jesus breaks in, in some sense, these aren't really miracles. This is God ripping back the curse in the way that it always should have been had the kingdom not perished. It changes the entire outlook on the scriptures then in the gospel accounts, you get to the climax as Jesus walks through his ministry. And Jesus comes and he takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. And on the side of this mountain, he asks his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they're like, you're John the Baptist or one of the prophets of old. We're not really sure. The people aren't really sure who you are, Jesus. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. The Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You are the King, Jesus. The King of all Israel. And Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this, confession, on this rock, which is the confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, which is the gospel, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what happens from this point on? Those who repent and believe and confess Christ as king are God's people. And in the presence of God's king, they are now in the presence of God's king Jesus and under the rule and blessing of the gospel. 
they're no longer under the curse of sin. And it, it is this very claim, it is this very claim that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the King of Israel, that Jesus is rejected and crucified by the religious leaders in Rome. You see, he isn't the king they want. That's the issue. Just as Adam and Eve spurned God's rule in the garden, he, in the Gospels, the religious leaders reject Christ. Jesus is arrested, taken to Pilate, and this is the charge laid against him in Luke 23. It says, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. That's a lie. And saying that he himself is Christ, a king. That's what Jesus was claiming. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, you have said so. And they reject Jesus and have him crucified. But all of this was according to God's plan. Because three days later, he rises again victorious over the grave, over the curse of sin, over death, and over Satan. The serpent's head has finally been crushed. And then we move next into the proclaimed kingdom. The king has left. He has ascended. After Christ's resurrection, 40 days later, he ascends to the right hand of the Father where now he is ruling and reigning on his throne and we are now awaiting his return. The gospel now becomes the mission of God's people as he sends his Holy Spirit in power as they go and proclaim the gospel of God's kingdom and rule through Jesus. Where? From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. God's people are those who are now submitted to Christ as King, have been filled with His Spirit, and now proclaim Him as King to the nations. And as Paul says in Romans 10, whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's King, whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. And those who receive Christ by faith, they are baptized and become part of Christ's church. They are given a new heart. They're given a new nature. They're given a new identity. They become part of a new people, and they're given a new name. And now the church is the place where Christ reigns over his people by his spirit. Think about this. Jesus now reigns over his church by his spirit and by his word. When someone walks into a gospel church, this is a place where we readily confess Jesus Christ is king. He is king over our lives. He rules over us by His Spirit and His Word. We are people who do not openly, or, or we, even though we sin, we do not want to rebel against our King. We want to joyfully submit to Him and follow Him as Lord and live under the law of the Gospel, the law of grace. And the church continues Christ's mission of making disciples to the nation. And this is the era of the kingdom that we have been in since Christ's ascension. This is where we live now, church. We are part of the proclaimed kingdom. It is our job to make the gospel known to the ends of the earth. But that's not the end of the story. No, no, no. As I conclude here, I'm going to conclude with where the Bible concludes the perfected kingdom. You see... We are God's people now. In Christ, we are God's people. We are under God's rule by Christ, under God's rule by Christ, by His Spirit, and under His Word. But we are still waiting on His return. 
when he will fully and when we will fully and finally be under Christ as king and that day is surely coming God's uh, John saw that John saw that day coming in Revelation I want to read to you verses uh, chapter 19 verses 11 through 16 when John has this picture of Christ's return listen to this he says then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. He says, his eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. And from there he sees a vision of the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and new earth coming down as a bride adorned for her her husband. But that day is still future. Hear me, that day is sure, a sure and certain future. The promises given to Mary and Joseph here in Luke have yet to be fulfilled. Christ is yet to sit on David's throne in the new heavens and new earth. But that day is coming. And when that day comes, we will have the perfected kingdom. The curse will finally be removed. Oh, 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 how we long for that day. When there will be no more sickness, sorrow, sin, or death. There will be no more cancer, no more abuse, no more wars, no more corrupt government. And on that day... The pattern that was set up in Genesis 1 and 2 will be perfected in Revelation 21 and 22. We will be God's people. We will be in God's place, the new heavens and new earth. And we will be under the rule and blessing of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God will rule over His people through Jesus. Now as I conclude, this is the ultimate question this morning. That's the story of the Bible. I summarize it for my children in a very few words. Kill the dragon, get the girl. The Bible, the Bible story is what every fantasy story is, has been built upon. It's the story of the dragon slayer. The serpent slayer finally putting that dragon where he belongs and getting the girl, his church, his people. That's what Jesus comes to do. He is the great king who rules over his people. Here's the ultimate question. Are you ready to stand before King Jesus? Are you ready to meet him? Is he your king right now? Have you confessed Christ as Lord by repentance and faith? Have you received the gospel being proclaimed this morning? The good news that if you turn from your sin and receive Christ as Lord, you will have forgiveness of sin. If not then bow your knee to King Jesus today. Because there's, there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And on that day, it will be too late to confess Him willingly by faith for salvation. That day will only be a day of judgment.
but it'll be a day of rejoicing for His people who even now, at, as we celebrated Advent, we, uh, we long and wait for the good King to return and rule over His people so we can be God's people in God's place under His rule and blessing. Our church is an outpost of that kingdom now. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to be a part of ours where Jesus is Lord. He is King of all that we say and do. We are not a perfect kingdom. We are not a perfect church. But we await our perfect Savior. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray this morning that we would rest in the truth that you reign over your people now through Jesus. And that, Father, when we were rebellious Lord, filled with just our own pride and our own arrogance. Father, you still loved us and sought to rescue us. And Father, in the gospel, Lord, you change our rebellious hearts. Hearts that were once stony and cold and distant and didn't care about your word or the rule of your spirit, Father. That in Christ Jesus, you've now broken that resistance And Father, you filled us with your Spirit. So now, even when we sin, and we do often, Father, the cry of our heart is, Lord Jesus, forgive us, Father, because that is not who we are or how we want to live. So Father, now, speak to us and change us by the power of your Word. Father, rule and reign over your people now by your Spirit given to us in Christ. Lord, help us to walk with you and to make Christ known as we proclaim the Gospel for Christ's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name.